1: downloading any stupid questions in this podcast we get some actual experts on important subjects and ask them to confirm or deny the stuff we've picked up by scrolling through twitter so joining me today to explain northern ireland is the journalist kate devlin who started her career at the thalamina guardian and who currently writes about politics for the sunday express hello hello and also joining me to ask the questions that you'd look too stupid asking on Newsnight are comedians athena kaplanu and michael lake hello oh yeah Oh, sorry. Hello. I was really? daydreaming. So here's my first question: Northern Ireland. Who
3: started it? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Well, I mean, so the answer can be everyone. The answer can be no one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some ways, the answer can be Henry VIII and Elizabeth I. What him? We can't blame him. Surely? Yeah, you totally can. He totally totally for everything. With his
2: gout, it's a bit convenient. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think the thing to remember is that Ireland was invaded by absolutely everyone. People think that we are a Celtic nation. We are. That's because we were invaded by the Celts. We were also invaded by the Normans. And then in around the 12th century, we started being invaded by the English, not terribly successfully at first. Then they started to you know, make further forays. And finally, Henry VIII probably just about managed to, to get the country under his thumb enough that he was crowned king of ireland okay
1: well i mean i'm happy to blame henry the eighth he seems like a bit of a prick
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: not a nice
2: guy <laughs> but, best, but... W- when he did it was it
3: still one island or was it northern Ireland and Ireland when he at that time it was still one ireland and oh. in fact northern ireland only came into existence just under a hundred years ago so we're going to be celebrating our hundredth birthday oh. uh on the 100th anniversary of Partition in 1921.
2: That 100 celebration, would that be mm. a
3: happy celebration? <laughs> going to be...
0: Definitely for some. Right? <laughs> Definitely some going to be very delighted. Right?
3: Well, I think what happened was that the Republic of Ireland decided to celebrate 100 years of 1916, which was when they started this campaign in earnest to become an independent country. Then there were some... Wars didn't go terribly well, including some Irish convicts being taken out and shot. And so I think it's very controversial, some of what happened in the journey for the Republic of Ireland to exist. So I don't think actually it would be that celebrated in the Republic of Ireland And only semi-celebrated in Northern Ireland. All right, that'll be good. So on Facebook, I won't make a big deal about it. I just wouldn't put it in your diary for uh, 2021,
1: to be honest. And is it true that they made all the grumpy ones live in Northern Ireland and all the really cheerful ones who like a good crack live in the Republic of
3: Ireland? Well, in the Republic, they did offer a tax break for artists. That's true. So a lot Ah. of um, people who could paint and sing and write our lovely poems did end up living in places like Donegal. But we are a very creative nation. We we spawned Liam Neeson.
0: Uh, Seamus Heaney, The Heaney. greatest poet this planet Absolutely. ever. Yeah.
3: Fergal Sharkey wrote the greatest pop song ever in uh, Teenage Kicks. Um, he, he, uh, didn't a good, a good he didn't
0: good write point, that well song. He didn't write did that Good point, well made. He didn't write Did he not? Uh, no, he didn't.
3: Did he write any of the songs?
0: No, he didn't. He was in, he the, band. Didn't even he was write, in the band. He didn't even write a good heart
2: but he's the one. <laughs> he's the guy we know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't
0: know the he's other sang one. He sang the, sang the greatest <laughs> pop song ever. Yes. I would good, definitely good point.
1: So, so Kate, imagine I'm a 23-year-old who only knows about avocado on toast and Taylor Swift. Tell me about the troubles, because lots of people under the age of 25 don't know what it is. Is it in it or are they? It's in it?
3: it. It's a. It's a. It's a period of time that, yeah. thankfully, we are mainly over. But it's. Three decades in which more than 3,000 people were killed, many more were terribly injured in a, a conflict within Northern Ireland, Yeah, but which affected all of the UK. There were bombs in places like Birmingham, Canary Wharf in London, Warrington. I mean, the reason the centre of Manchester looks the way it does today is because it was blown up by the IRA. Yeah, I
1: remember the Ma- I remember the Manchester bombing on the news. Because that was one of the last ones before the Good Friday Agreement, wasn't it? Was it it 96?
3: was. It was. And so you can see it on YouTube. Yeah. It, it was captured by the TV cameras at the time. And so what's the history of the Troubles? I think a lot of people outside Northern Ireland think it's about religion. Yeah. And people inside Northern Ireland would argue it's it's a land conflict. It's about whether Northern Ireland should be part of the Republic of Ireland or whether it should stay part of the United Kingdom. The problem is religion does come into it because most people who want to be part of the Republic of Ireland are Catholic and the vast majority of people who want to stay in the UK are Protestant. And that's because
1: it was really hard being Catholic in Northern Ireland
3: Right. Yes, there was a civil rights movement yeah. in the United Kingdom in the 1960s that was centred on the rights of Catholics in Northern Ireland because there were accusations that Protestant politicians were, for a start, gerrymandering the boundaries of election seats, mm-hmm. that it was incredibly difficult for Catholics to get public housing. It was very difficult for Catholics to get jobs in certain areas because Protestant factory owners and owners were not giving them jobs. So it was seen as a huge amount of discrimination against the minority Catholic population.
0: Now, although we know it wasn't a religious thing, it was was, was very much a land-based feud, let's call it that. (laughs) Why not? I always had it in my head that actually it was neither of those things. It was actually to do with just plain old-fashioned gangsterism. We're just basically, it's all drug money and it's not so much land more turf if you know what I mean
3: you're absolutely right a huge part of that I think you can ascribe to that mm-hmm. I mean certainly there were people who in another context would just be serial killers right yeah and we have given them a political credibility yeah. that they probably don't deserve because they t- joined an organization or, or didn't even join an organization just described their evil deeds to an organization mm-hmm. and that's that is the situation that we're in so I wouldn't say that that isn't part of it, but at the same time, there is this other part of it that is to do with land and religion. Yeah,
2: The thing I never understood about unionists is that normally, I'll use the term post-colonial, post-colonial countries can't wait to get rid of Britain. So what is it that unionists like about the relationship with Britain? And bearing in mind, Britain and specifically England has had a very interesting view of Irish people. You know, so it's this weird thing where it's like we're dying to be part of Britain, but you know, up until very recently, Irish people I don't even think were considered white. You know, they yep. were treated in a quite yep. ghastly
3: way. So what's what's the incentive there? Well, I think unionists would not have classed themselves as Irish people in that way. Right. They would have seen that as a Catholic nationalist Irishism. They would have thought that they were a class apart. And that they were seen as, as British. Now, whether that was true or not, we don't know. Then add into that the fact that of the troubles. And just being Northern Irish didn't exactly become a good thing in the rest of the world. We, got, you know, we had a reputation mm. as these terrible people who were killing each other for no reason. So that, that was difficult as well. But I do think that Unionists saw themselves as different. What is it that they like about the UK? In a lot of ways, they would say it's what everybody else in the UK likes about the UK. It's things like the rule of law. It's things like the royal family. It's even things like the NHS. Isn't there healthcare in Ireland? Um, In Ireland, it's a much more private system. Right. Uh, No, there isn't an NHS in the Republic of Ireland. You have to pay to
0: see a GP.
1: In the Republic of Ireland. But in Mm -hmm. Northern Ireland, there is the NHS.
3: Yes, because we're part of Britain. But you can't have an abortion. No. Is there anything else you can't have?
0: A minute's (laughs) pace for yourself. (laughs) Probably not.
3: Yeah. Um, You can't have an abortion because there was a parliament in Northern Ireland between 1921 and 1972, which was when effectively the Troubles meant it had to close down. And it was in charge of its own laws. And basically why you can't have an abortion in Northern Ireland is back to religion. It's an incredibly religious place. In fact, let's be honest about it. It's a famously Mm -hmm. religious place. That's one of the things that people know about it. So both sides decided at the time that there was no appetite for it among their electorate, that is starting to change slightly. But you will still find that large parties on both sides of the divide are absolutely against abortion. So
1: this was like the first thing that they came to agree over, even as the troubles were starting. But still, well, as long as there are no abortions, I mean, everything else take take to the streets with your arms, but let's all just agree that all women can't have rule over their own uteruses. Is that have I got that right? It's a fairly socially conservative place as well. Okay. It's interesting you say about the attitude towards Northern Ireland during the Troubles and how the rest of the world saw it as this very dangerous, violent place, which, I mean, I, I've never been to Belfast, so I don't really know what it was like then. But I do remember in the 90s that there was this whole movement of like Hollywood stars who were like, hey, aren't that IRA great, guys? They're just freedom fighters. How how did that go down in Northern Ireland?
3: Like a bucket of sick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Even, uh, dare I say it, to the people that they were trying to appeal to, now not obviously paid up IRA members quite yeah. like that, but the larger nationalist Catholic community, and I come from a Catholic family, were a bit put out at, you know, these rich Americans flying in, looking at a very difficult, decades-long conflict, deciding that they could sum it up in one sentence and that they absolutely knew who the good guys were and who the bad guys were, and some of them deciding that the good guys were the people who were trying to kill us. Yeah, I can see why that wouldn't go down too well.
2: And a lot of Americans, even though it's quite a distance, they have a very strong Irish identity, When if they have Irish heri- heritage, do you think that played a part in it? They were just trying to pretend they knew where they came
3: from, but they just they just got it wrong because they just guessed. They did and apparently they did get it wrong. Quite a lot of scholarships has been done in North America in recent years that suggest that actually quite a lot of those people don't have Catholic Irish heritage. They have Ulster Scots Protestant Irish heritage. This is and they literally This, is the, problem. The wrong this is the problem with white on white crime. You, know, <laughs> you just
2: don't know where to draw the line. You know, it could be all acts. Is it a mixed race? I don't know, it looks like the other one. <laughs> so.
1: This came in on Twitter. So, uh, during the Troubles, when Jerry Adams used to be on the telly, they would always dub his voice with another man's voice. W- why was that? What was he saying? And What was so magical and powerful about Jerry
3: Adams' real voice that it wasn't allowed to be heard on broadcast news? Well, I think it's interesting you are saying, what was he saying? We yeah. knew what he was saying, because there were a myriad of Belfast actors who were employed merely to be Jerry Adams for, for years there. And so we would absolutely hear what he said. In fact... I don't think I actually heard his voice until the ban was lifted. Yeah. And it was a crushing disappointment. I mean, it it sounded very, very, very like those Belfast actors who had been employed to sound like Jerry Adams. There was a feeling among the UK government at yeah. the time that were he allowed to expound his propaganda himself, yeah. that it would win over... Too many
1: people. He was that great an orator that if he actually spoke with his own voice and inflection, it would bring people to the cause. But if you got someone else to say the exact words over the top with a slightly different inflection...
0: It's like the Pied Piper, yeah. If you no, have heard of his beautiful that, tone.
3: That seems... You would that have river danced like,
0: right after That
3: it. sounds <laughs> like an insane idea. No, when you say it, you know, it does sound insane. But actually, what you've got to remember is what was happening okay. at the time. And what was happening at the time was... A couple of times a week, some awful atrocity was on the, on the nighttime news happening either in Northern Ireland or in the rest of the mainland. People were dying in huge numbers and the UK government was under pressure to do something, anything, just do something. And so they ended up doing lots of different things, mm-hmm. some of which worked better than others. But it didn't come from nowhere. Yeah. But it was a terrible day for all those Belfast actors. The day that they find themselves (laughs) in the scrap paper and Jerry Adams was allowed back on the radio. Oh, poor Belfast actors. Well, they should have
2: used, like, Joe Pasquale's voice. They wanted it to have, like, an impact. To replace his accent with another person of a similar accent. (laughs) This this man, I don't know, is really inspiring.
0: Just to give him an (laughs) English accent, whatever.
2: (laughs) Make him sound, like, really upper class. Was he
1: allowed to, like, do rallies and speak... Just in yeah. real life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, quite often the dubbing was over a rally where he was speaking to hundreds, yeah. or maybe even a thousand people. You know, Northern Ireland is a fairly small place. If you wanted to go and listen to Jerry Adams in the flesh, it wasn't that hard to find out where he would be and where you could go and listen to Jerry Adams in the flesh. The feeling was just that that he had to, he was too dangerous and he had to be kept off the airways.
1: What is the Good Friday Agreement and is it reasonable that it
3: might break down because some people want bendy bananas back? The Good Friday Agreement is a peace deal Mm -hmm. and because of that it involves an awful lot of concessions and it involves an awful lot of difficult decisions that had to be made. So on the one hand it was an agreement between the main paramilitary groups to cease their actions but at the same time one of the biggest things that it agreed was that those paramilitary groups would see their prisoners released. Mm-hmm. So hundreds of prisoners who'd been convicted for things like terrorist-related offences, including murder, were allowed back onto the streets. And that's, that was part of the Good Friday Agreement? That was one of the central tenets of the Good Friday Agreement. I guess the other central tenet was about consent, which was that the people of Northern Ireland would decide their future. And so those who wanted to go with the Republic of Ireland would have a, a route. They would, you know, someday they would think if we decide we can go with the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. But equally, Unionists would be given the certainty that at the moment it doesn't appear as if... We want anything to change, so we'll stay with the United Kingdom. Because
1: that's what's really fascinating about it. There must be people in Northern Ireland that are like, well, one day, one day there will be United Ireland. And there's other people going, well, that's, that's never going to happen. And they both feel that that's a possibility. Yes, and they live next door to each other. So what's going to happen with... Brexit. At the moment, the Republic of Ireland is um, is part of the EU and mm-hmm. very happy to be part of the EU. Northern Ireland, if Britain removes itself from the EU is now part of Britain. There's a lot of talk about the Good Friday Agreement breaking down because there, there would be the need to introduce a physical hard border. At the moment there isn't a hard border, it's just you you couldn't tell there was a border if you just wandered across. And that physical hard border is all about goods and services. So it's not even about anything as... Divisive as land or where people belong or who they feel that they have allegiance to. is
3: literally about does this duvet pass the EU test or not? The other thing that the Good Friday Agreement has done has allowed people to self identify. Yes. So unionists are very much self identify as British and nationalists and republicans very much self identify as Irish. Um, they've always been able to get Irish passports. And the kind of enshrinement of their identity as Irish was quite an importance, a bit maybe sleight of hand within the Good Friday Agreement. But it was there. And so s- some of them do feel that putting up a border breaks that.
1: So for us, for the liberal intelligentsia, Northern Ireland gets discussed a lot in terms of Brexit. Mm. But for someone who's living up in Hull... They don't, they, they don't
3: probably give a fuck about this. Well, I think there's two things there, isn't there? There's, is this peace fragile? Yeah. And then there's Brexit. Yeah. And I think, is this peace fragile, is a question that we will keep asking for quite a while. Yeah. Brexit is not the only issue, and certainly it won't be the only issue in the future. Yeah. And so I find that a really, really difficult question to answer, in part because I think there's a generational Divide. My parents were in their early 20s whenever the trouble started. They always believed it would end. Mm -hmm. I was born 12 years into it. I always believed it would continue forever. I never believed it would end. And so the younger generation looks as if they're a bit more optimistic, but you have this huge amount of people in the middle who feel very concerned and very fragile. And the question is we don't know which generation is right. And the problem is none of us have ever had any control really around this process because there are people in Northern Ireland who have always been willing to die and to kill for their political aims. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, what we're all trying to do is dry out the tinderbox as much as possible so that when someone lights a spark that it doesn't take.
1: Michael someone who is from Northern Ireland grew up there. Does the idea of a physical hard border does that seem an awful thing or is I mean, it is it being blown out of proportion?
0: I think I think obviously I mean for me I think it's definitely a bad thing. I've got, I've got weirdly good memories of the hard border, which is a terrible thing to say. It meant, if I was crossing that hard border, what that meant was, I was going on holiday. Right, so, yeah. Um, but I don't think that's the way a lot of people are going to look at it. They're going to go, yay, we're off on a trip. No, it's <laughs> it's going to be... Uh, no, It's uh, no. I
3: know what you mean, because it, it also meant, mm, in some ways, mm. it was a safety thing. I mean the most scared I ever mm. was going into Belfast International Airport was when they mm. took away the army checkpoint, yeah. which was years after the Good Friday Agreement. And mm. I drove in and I thought to myself, this is a bit weird. It's almost I'm not quite sure we're there yet. Yeah. yeah, it's almost psychological, isn't it? Because yeah. it,
2: like, I was, cause I was, when I think about borders, mm. I think borders are fascinating. Mm. I really like going to countries. Oh, it's Spain over there. Yeah. Oh, it's Togo okay, your over passport there. Stamp. You yeah. know, it's just quite, you know, it just makes you feel like a traveller and it looks mm. adventurous. So mm. it could be, what if it was a sexy border? You know, it doesn't have to be barbed wire and cement. It could just be like, "Welcome to." You know, when you see signs that say "Welcome to Ireland." Another one could say, "Welcome to Ireland." I, like, I think it's literally, it's literally
0: yeah. the greatest thing about the UK and Ireland is the fact that there's no border. And I think yeah. isn't that amazing? There's no. Does that not say anything to the rest of the world? There's no border here. I mean, that's such an amazing political statement in itself. There's no border. It's phenomenal.
3: And you know, there there is a belief that a technical solution. Could You know, it could end up that that we lead the way on this. I mean, the other question, I guess, is... Now, the apparatus that used to be at the border when Michael and I were children Mm -hmm. is hard to even fathom. I mean, we're talking... huge installations that are effectively... a place that looked as if they were army encampments. Yeah. Mm. Not just a border post like what you might see in, you know, France or, or, you know, Switzerland or something. I mean, it really was a huge camp. And I mean, that that is clearly what's going to be very different. Lots of things in, in Northern Ireland are very different. Police stations are very different. I remember going to Australia when I was 18 and uh, Sydney was scandalised because someone had shot through a police station mm-hmm. and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around this for a couple of days. I thought, well, I mean, for a start, how did they get over the wall?
0: Yeah. And wow. How <laughs> yeah. did they get over the barbed what wire? What about the barbed wire? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: And what about mm. the men with machine guns mm. standing outside the police station? Mm. And then I happened to just dr- drive past a police station in Sydney. And I don't know uh, mm. if they're still the same, but it was effectively a shop front.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's got a costa in it. It's, it's, like, yeah, <laughs> it was it's just, really you know, it's just, yeah. you just yeah. call
3: into your local police yeah. station yeah. once you've got a coffee. Mm. So the idea of what we have, of what the border apparatus used to be, yeah, and mm-hmm. what the border apparatus will be, it, you know, it, it's very difficult to imagine it when you have such a, a big idea in your head. Yeah. So it's very difficult to kind of figure out what it's going to be.
0: Pubs used to have turnstiles and like, yeah,
3: What, like getting into a football
1: stadium? Yeah,
0: pubs would have turned start and railings outside it, you know, um, fenced off. Yeah. It's a mad place when you think about it.
1: (laughs) Michael, do you have another question?
0: I do have a question, but I think it's going to, well, for everyone. For everyone out there. (laughs) How do you see the Northern Irish? Do you see them as British is what I'm saying? Or do you see them as Irish?
2: I see Northern Irish people as British because that's the extent of my knowledge, in the same way I see Welsh people as British okay. and Scottish people as British. But I understand that Northern mm-hmm. Ireland is in Ireland yeah. and culturally Irish, yes. you know, so that's my well I, distinction.
0: I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised because he might some people just go, well, oh, that's him, he's typical, blah, 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 he's Irish, isn't he? No one ever goes, oh, well, typical him, he's British. I mean, no one ever, <laughs> I no one right. ever refers I, to me as a British I'm gonna person. I'm going to retract
2: that. So I'm politically British, but like mm. I said, I'm culturally Irish. So I yeah. would refer to you both mm. as an Irish person. Because you say the yeah.
1: same with Scotland. I don't, right. I absolutely, because I was going to say I'm with Billy Bragg on this. I mm. think that, I mean, not, not in a proud way, but I think I'm English in the sense that I don't have that cultural connection to Scottish people, right. to Wales or to Northern Ireland. If you met Frankie Ball, you wouldn't go, oh, he's British. You'd say he's Scottish, right? Yeah. right?
0: I think, I think what I'm getting at is mm. it boils down to the Tory coalition with the DUP and people being outraged and the DUP and their supporters, yeah, rightly or wrongly, being very proud of what's happened. But the way I couldn't help looking at it is no matter what, yes, they're in Westminster and all that stuff. And yes, they've got their massive connection to England, which is, I think that is clearly what they want. But that's why I was surprised to hear you say, oh, you know, I see Northern Ireland as British because I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, I think that no matter what, English people still see Northern Ireland as, well, that's the Riverdance people. And, <laughs> and I can't help but think the DUP can try as hard as they want. But. I'm sorry, they're diddly dee. Ah, look at them, the shillelaghies. That's just how they're thought of outside of Northern Ireland. But I
1: think you're right. But And I inside
0: of Northern Ireland, they're thought of as mad bastards.
1: <laughs> I think you're right, but I don't think it's specific to Northern Ireland. I think if you're if mm. you're English, then you do see
2: all of the regions okay. as not us. Yeah, yeah. so and you don't even realise it actually because yeah. you say it, it personally. now. Mm. Yeah. Having said that, I wouldn't describe, I always describe myself as a British because my parents aren't English. So I always okay. feel, I feel like, I'd very, I very I don't even watch the football team, but no mm. one, they're quite boring to watch, but <laughs> can you blame me? But yeah, I always feel myself as British more than anything. Right. So yeah, it's actually, that's, that's, that's fascinating me, that question. I'm a
0: very fascinating <laughs> man. Very fascinating.
2: While we we're on the subject
1: of the DUP, is Theresa May buddying up with the DUP? Given that there was a, the supposedly power sharing in Northern Ireland between the DUP and Sinn Féin. Is her bodying up with one of those two sides on power sharing, as dodgy as it sounds? I mean, that's democracy.
3: They have 10 MPs in the House of Commons. Yeah. And at the moment, any party that has 10 MPs in the House of Commons holds a balance of power. Yeah. Now, if that was a pro-NHS party or an English party, which espoused very Tory policies, Mm -hmm. I think the power sharing would have been a lot less controversial. Yeah. Sorry, the informal coalition with Theresa May would have been a lot less controversial. Part of me wonders whether part of the controversy is geographical, mm-hmm. is that a lot of voters in England, where 85% of the population lives, never really thought about what would happen in this very rare circumstances about holding the balance apart if it was a geographical party yeah. from around the Scotland, Northern Ireland or Wales yeah. that would hold the balance of power. The other issue, of course, is the DUP's policies, yeah. which caused a lot of controversy, which was a bit surprising because in 2010, Gordon Brown briefly attempted to have a rainbow coalition with quite a few parties, including his sister party in Northern Ireland, the SDLP, who have a fairly similar position on abortion. Mm-hmm because they're a Catholic party, as the DUP do. So dodgy or democracy? I mean, that's the question. If we accept that this is the democratic system, then it has to be seen as this is democratic and there has to be a way that this has to be allowed to happen or else we're suggesting to 1.5 million people in Northern Ireland that their votes in a general election effectively count for nothing. Now, you're right, there is a problem about the, the UK government looking to be on one side or the other when it comes to power sharing in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And they have to walk a very tight line on this. But we can't have a system that says that no matter who people vote for in Northern Ireland in a general election, it won't count. <laughs>
1: At the moment, there's no, like, Stormont, which is the Parliament, isn't in operation. Yes. Because power sharing has broken down. It has. How,
3: so who is in charge of Northern Ireland? The civil servants. Really? Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Yes. Bureaucrats are keeping things ticking over. And unfortunately, there are lots of very serious questions that they're just not empowered to answer. So they're trying, they're doing their best, they're keeping things, as I say, ticking over. But there are lots of things... That are struggling. And so even they have admitted that public services are struggling because they need politicians in, because they need them to make some decisions.
1: So no decisions are being made. And what's happened? How come that power sharing's broken down? Power sharing
3: broke down because of a scandal called Cash for Ash. Is
1: it literally just the cash? Is that what's broke it all? Because I thought that must be too...
3: That, that can't be real. Which is where
1: basically some people were burning too much fuel and getting a massive subsidy. So for every, like... 100 quid worth of fuel you burnt, you got like 116 pounds
3: from the EU, wasn't it? Or something like that. No, it's from taxpayers. Oh, oh, it's from taxpayers in it's, Ireland. Yes. It's, and it is real and it is a scandal. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying it's not a scandal. Absolute world. shocker. And to be fair, it was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. There are always tensions. Power sharing, especially between two parties like Sinn Féin and DUP, was always going to be incredibly difficult. Yeah. But yes. This is the specific issue that broke the camel's back, that caused resignations more than a year ago. And now there are different issues that mean that they're struggling to get things back up and running. Okay, But cash for ash is real and it could cost up to a billion pounds. Taxpayers' money? Yes, because people are genuinely being paid to waste energy, under what was supposed to be a renewable energy scheme. Are they still being paid? Now they've seen the loophole. Yes, they are. What? Because How
1: it's, is that not been it's stopped? stopped. It's, a le- it's a legal
3: contract that the government entered into, that the government set the terms of incorrectly. It turns out when they went back and checked the small print, they did it wrong. They did their sums wrong. And so people are being paid more than it costs to pay for the fuel. So they just. But it's still continuing. It so it's burning it.
0: It could cost a billion pounds. Could cost. Where are they to a going to get pounds. a billion pounds from? Hey, they got a billion pounds, <laughs> didn't they? They got a billion pounds from the Tories. There
1: How you convenient. Go. So why don't why why doesn't Stormont come back together and go? This is madness. Let's. It's madness from a taxpayer point of view. It's madness from a burning the planet point of view.
3: It's madness that this is why we've. Why isn't this being fixed by anybody? It is being fixed. There is a process in which it it will eventually be stopped. But because it's a legal contract, they weren't able to stop it the day and hour that they find out the problem.
0: Is the process <laughs> just normal time and sooner or later we'll all be dead? It's <laughs> where
3: right. so everything runs out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Burn everything! everything. Yeah. <laughs> it is slightly <laughs> sooner about, than that but it, not as soon as taxpayers would want. Right. And this is yeah. this is a huge problem. And one of the reasons it's a huge problem is because it's become iconic for a couple of reasons. One is it, it's the most obviously named political scandal in history. Mm. It's not Watergate. It's not about some obscure hotel you've never heard of. It's called Cash for Ash because it does what its and the 10 people are being paid cash to burn things. It's outrageous. Secondly, what a
0: country to <laughs> test that out. <laughs> a country famous for really loving to burn things. <laughs> Every 12th, we're rolling in it. We're making so much money. Burn another pope.
3: Um, secondly, there has always been a feeling in Northern Ireland that we weren't all in this together. The troubles caused huge economic problems mm-hmm. and most people saw their economic life chances at least slightly constrained by that. But there was always a feeling that there were some people who were just doing okay. And so when it turns out that, you know, large businesses or farmers are making money from this scheme, literally from their fellow taxpayers, Mm -hmm. that has caused absolute outrage. And you can understand why. This is one of the most economically deprived... Parts of the United Kingdom, and yet some people are doing very well. Thank you very much, and not giving two hoots about their fellow taxpayers. And so that that was seen as a as a very big problem.
1: I mean, it's literally like you walk in front of someone, burn a hundred pounds, and then get given hundred and twenty quid yeah. from somewhere. Yeah.
0: Northern Ireland is now the KLF.
1: Michael, I've kn- so I've known you for a long time. Yeah, and weeks, weeks, and I've never asked you what. Flavor of Northern Irish you are <laughs> Because it seems really rude Does it seem is it, rude? Is it rude? I don't know Are you allowed to I don't, you go I don't think, oh, Which well, one are but, you? But then
0: again I, don't, I have absolutely no idea What religion you are If you have any religion at all I mean I always think of you As an atheist Yeah And I think you probably Always think of me as an atheist Yeah But I was raised Catholic Oh okay In a very very Protestant town but, you know, that's why I'm Oh, congratulations on making it. Oh, yeah, hard as nails. But it wasn't a town full of horrible violence at all. Was it not? I mean, there was some, but, nah, not really.
1: Is it odd that I would not want... It feels really rude to ask no, no, Irish it Because, you
0: know what, it's not part of your culture to care about that. Where it is mm. part of, I guess, mm. my, our culture to... I mean, that's pretty much... After hello, you know.
2: So it's not taboo at all. You, It'd be mm. quite important to understand um, somebody's background. I mean,
0: I, I think it's really trivial, but it's not a weird question to ask. Yeah. It's normal. And what's it it's like? It's not normal, like, but it's normalised.
2: I'm aware in the past, like, marriages across mm. faiths was like problematic. Is yeah. that, has that changed a lot
3: recently? I haven't seen any statistics on that recently. Sectarianism is still a huge problem in Northern Ireland, and it's one that we haven't really. Got to grips with in the aftermath of the priest process, and of course every you know individual story is a tragedy, and there are you know a lot of um, people who would have been cut off by their families because they married somebody from a different religion.
1: I was watching the Patrick Kilty documentary, and there still seems to be. Well, I don't know how much... So, you know, the big murals that were around that we'd see on the news, you know, yeah. these big... They're still around. Are they still around? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a tour bus that takes you around them?
0: I think there is a tour bus that takes you around some of them, but there would be some that you just couldn't go to. I mean, you'd, right? You'd, even now, you wouldn't be able to... I mean, if a tour bus went through, I mean, that tour <laughs> bus would be on fire in seconds. A bus goes through there; it's on fire, and so you know. So a tour bus is definitely. Are
1: there still some? Are there still some no-go areas? where like you don't go down, you don't go to this area because like, it's just.
0: See, I don't live there anymore. So maybe, do you live there? No, I live in London. Right. Okay. I,
3: not that I know of that are always hmm. no go, but probably would be at at certain times. Yeah. Um. I mean, so one thing that happened during the troubles was that there were places that buses wouldn't. Wouldn't go, So some taxi services became a bit like buses and would have stops yeah. oh, really? and would pick people up and would, you know, pack five people into their cab instead of one and then would charge you a bit like a bus fare um, to get into parts of Belfast.
0: That, Uber. That's, <laughs> I that, like, that's something that... Um, it was an
3: early Uber. Yeah.
0: I actually love that Uber is in North Ireland because it was one thing that always troubles me. Troubles, guys, is getting a cab in Northern Ireland is a really, really weird thing. I think, anyway, even in my hometown, just go. Oh, we'll get this taxi from. No, no, don't get that taxi firm because part of that money goes to UVF or whatever. Oh, will take this. Well, no, you can't take that taxi firm because. But and I just think, God, thank God, Uber's here. Well, you know, <laughs> wow. that just goes to sexual predators. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know, Michael's right. I mean, mm. the troubles did affect. Absolutely Mm -hmm. everything. And he's Mm -hmm. just reminded me, when I was a teenager, Mm -hmm. there were very severe problems in buying drugs in the Mm -hmm. town I was in because of who was running the drug operation and where your money would be going to. And Mm -hmm. indeed, the feeling that it would be to people who were trying to kill you. So Mm -hmm. I was a very nerdy teenager. I wasn't into drugs or anything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this was a conversation among teenagers about, could we do this?
1: Would it literally be like there'd be two people on a street corner with their bags of ecstasy, and you had to go to the right one to get it?
3: Well, I with a different friends who had Obviously. hardly any friends. Also, um, the drugs were. I mean, yes, I guess you could just about get ecstasy. You certainly couldn't get lots of hard drugs because the security surveillance was so strong. I mean, you know, if you can imagine the British army is in Northern Ireland manning the borders, trying to keep out semtex and guns. And so who in their right minds would try to take drugs across this border?
1: It had never occurred to me that the real victims of the troubles were smackheads. <laughs> it just
3: had never, never occurred. So one of, the, one of our peace dividends was an increase in drug related crime and an increase in burglary. Because, because normal crimes have come through, yeah, yeah. and, and things—the things that other parts of the UK considered normal crime—went up effectively as diversionary tactics for people who had been maybe more political in recent years.
0: Why does Britain bother with Northern Ireland? Why doesn't it just go? Do you know what? Nah.
3: The terms of the Good Friday Agreement mean that they can't get rid of us.
0: <laughs> right, so that is lit. But, but you know what? Why would anyone...
3: Why would care? anyone want to get rid of us, Michael? I completely agree no, with you. No, no, we no. Are, no. We no. Such we're such wonderful
0: we're people. We're absolutely brilliant. I mean, you'd have to get rid of and Holmes, and no one's given up that. <laughs> that is the golden goose. No, we're
3: keeping him. We're
0: not <laughs> yeah. getting rid of that guy.
3: It sounds like Good Day, you're going to yeah. mark two if you keep Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, okay, maybe it's better to think about it another way. Mm-hmm. So they are you know, more than a million and a half people there. Mm-hmm. They're British. Mm-hmm. There was a political scandal that cost the job of the Home Secretary when it mm-hmm. was found that they were deporting British people. Mm-hmm. Now, these people in Northern Ireland, they're as British as Theresa May.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: They're as British as Bruce Forsyth.
0: Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Possibly, possibly no one British <laughs> as British as <laughs> Bruce Forsyth. Yeah. Yeah. So. He is our so king. He's yeah. quite British. Yeah.
3: It would be wrong
0: right. to... Oh oh I agree. Completely wrong. But my point is what so what? So what I think leaving the EU is wrong, but people don't seem to give a shit about that. So why 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 do we keep Northern Ireland? I would
2: say Britain has it's to do with empire. Like it's ours. We got it, it belongs to us. Now obviously it's political power. You get rid of the Ireland, you get rid of your ten seats. Um and Britain doesn't like change. Cannot stand it. It doesn't like change. It diminishes the fact that Britain is that that they think that Britain is amazing. So the mm. idea that people don't want to be part of Britain is actually quite galling to a lot of politicians and people in the kind of echelons of society mm. that have the chance to influence these kind of things. I would have certainly have imagined that that was a motivator for Tony Blair and Mo Mollum and, and, and that, that gang back in the 90s because it's like, we, you know, lost everything else. Mm. <laughs> you know? um, mm. So I think, honestly, it's like an ideology and identity as much as anything, but mostly change, you know, um, because it's not the Olympics. Mm. I know we've got a couple of athletes but come on, guys, pull your weight. Yeah,
0: uh, Team GB. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that team, wasn't a cool thing. To,
2: yeah. Team GB.
1: Was what? Team Northern GB Ireland's not part Northern of it. No, I don't think so. Britain's next top model was Britain's next. Britain and Ireland's next top model. If that makes you feel better, was Michael. Well, not, yeah,
0: not really. Because they it made an be The UK and Ireland. <laughs>
1: I've come around to the idea that I don't even know what Britain is anymore, and I'm not even sure it's a good thing. So devolve everybody, yeah. devolve all the powers to everybody.
2: But isn't everything devolved? This is my opinion. Everything's devolved anyway. If you live in Scotland and Wales, devolved education, devolved uh, policing, uh, devolved healthcare. Is Northern Ireland have the same uh, arrangements? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what else? what else. That's pretty much it. The only thing left is the identity part. You know, the actual what's on the passport. But actually, on paper, there's a lot of uh, autonomy. There's a lot of autonomy.
3: There's a lot that's that's the same, though. Um, So rates of income tax are the same. um, uh, Benefits are the same. You know, lots of things that kind of do affect your your everyday life are decided on a UK-wide basis. Then there's the the kind of bigger things, I suppose, like defence, building of nuclear submarines, that kind of thing. Mm. That's all. Um, Westminster as well.
2: Oh, OK. So, yeah, we've still got a lot of them. <laughs>
3: so. Who are the orange men? What do they do? <gasps> that was
2: my next question, yeah. The, and why is it so
3: bad? And are they only Slash men? Slash good. Yes, they are only men. There are a few lodges, because they're the orange lodge, there are a few lodges that say that they accept women. They're f- effectively kind of associate members, but for all intents and purposes, they're all men. They're also all Protestant. It's a Protestant society It's a fraternal organisation, so like the Masons, but not the Masons. And they celebrate King William of Orange and his famous battle in which Protestant... Monarch defeated a uh, Catholic. Why haven't they you got see, over it? I thought it? that would be <laughs> enough of an explanation, <laughs> but, but you seem like you just what don't understand. Did, what year did this uh, Did this, <laughs>
2: this thing happen? <laughs> did, when was this? So <laughs> King William? Well, not, is, not that long ago. So it's 1690. I, I almost in 1066.
0: 1690. <laughs> uh, why do yeah. I think
2: he's Dutch? Am I
0: an He is it? Dutch. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't matter,
2: though.
0: <laughs> Most I'm, British man that ever lived.
3: <laughs> why, why are they still marching? Actually, that's a great question. Question. And I think I think one of the things that's not understood about unionism and unionists is how under pressure they feel. They feel as if, as much as they are British and they now have this, these legal Good Friday Agreement rights, they feel as if they're constantly under pressure that their history and their culture is not respected, that their at risk of being thrown overboard any day now. And they've felt this not just for decades, but they've felt this for hundreds of years. Now, that whole paragraph I just said about unionism, yeah. you could absolutely repeat it for nationalism. yeah, And that is the problem, and that is part of the reason of where we are. But I think because people think the unionists are the larger and more dominant group... That they think that they haven't felt this, but they absolutely do feel this, and they felt this for a very long time. And and this is why they have the march to sort of
1: remind everybody that they're there and they're significant and they're important and, they're important. and their history
3: is important. And I mean, there are cultural elements as well. Um, I mean, it's effectively a marching band. Yeah, and it's a marching band that goes through most large Northern Irish conurbations um, and small ones and also exists in the Republic of Ireland as well. The first Orange March every year is actually in Donegal, which is not part of Northern Ireland and has existed for a very long time and is mainly populated by older, very respectable religious men who are pillars of their community. Unfortunately, in some parts the marches attract a kind of slightly younger, lightish crowd, which, you know, quite often gets in the way. Mm. But what they are celebrating is a victory over Catholics, which has obviously caused an awful lot of problems over the years. Yeah, a bit offensive to Catholics. It certainly doesn't help them feel any less under siege. Yeah, it's very
0: loud. Drums are... Well, because it's mainly... I mean, you definitely can see people playing the flute, but you can't hear them, It's just drums.
2: So, final question: Since like the line that divides people in Ireland is, is basically either religious or political, does that mean if you're like an immigrant that's non-Irish, it's like great because no one cares? Because you're like, well, you're not Irish, so? Or is it like, is it that that everybody unites so, like, <laughs> to hate <them. laughs> the immigrant? Because I'd like to think if I went to Northern Ireland, it would be like
3: I'd be like this great, fantastic neutral that everyone loves and buys drinks for. <laughs> there, there used to be a joke that no matter no matter what religion you were in Northern Ireland, people would say, Ah, yeah. But you are you a Catholic such and such or a Protestant such and such, yeah, yeah. and so I'm afraid your idea of a, an idealistic society is perhaps <laughs> slightly wider than the mark. Uh, but look, this is another of our peace dividends. People have moved to Northern Ireland in greater numbers than we saw for decades. It mm. is becoming a much more diverse society. And thank goodness for that. It's so my final question, and it's because when I put, a, a, a put
1: on Twitter, has anybody got any questions about Northern Ireland? And I had most responses included the word tatoes. Mm-hmm. So what is a tato? Why should I have one? And
3: is it better than a normal crisp? Yes. And quite frankly, if you haven't had one, never you, had you haven't a lived. I, I never, mean, I I've had a, a potato
1: and, and I've had a crisp. How is it different? And also,
3: I mean... We have to get really specific
0: here. Uh, yeah. oh, okay. I know what you're you, going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: You've got to have I'm, a cheese and onion potato. Really? I will mean, I can't have them anymore,
0: unfortunately, life. but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Tato, cheese, and onion are probably the most they... phenomenal things that have ever come out of my Really? Better yeah.
1: than a Dorito? Oh, I mean, much, oh. I mean,
0: Doritos don't exist. That's how good that potato crisps are considered in Northern Ireland. I'm not kidding you. When you get off your plane at Belfast International Airport, the first thing you see It's not a big sign. It's a freaking huge sign that said, Welcome home. And there's Mr. Tato, boom, right there. <laughs> Welcome home. And you see a cartoon potato. Because that, that is home.
1: Is, is Tato just Northern Irish, or do they have them in the Republic of Ireland? Why as well? are you
0: bringing up this <laughs> divide again? And our, this is it, the Troubles 2 are kicked off because of you're a podcast.
2: What if the board there was just a big sign, like Mr. Yeah. Mr. Tato, yeah. just waving? Would that
0: work? Yeah, if there was because there is a completely separate Tato company in the Republic of Ireland. There really is really? It, it's it sounds baffling and it sort of mirrors everything, doesn't it? Because do you know what this only it's only about ten years ago. A friend of mine who lives who's born and raised in Dublin said to me, Oh yeah, I had some Tato the other day, but it was the crappy Northern Irish one. Not. <laughs> I never I just thought they you would all be jealous of our beautiful crisps but it turns out they have the opinion of our crisps that we have of their crisps because their crisps are definitely horrible they're really soft and weird
2: we should do a taste test and blindfold you just to make sure you can't tell
0: the difference oh you would know because I'm very
2: sceptical because they are just crisps (laughs) i <laughs> quite sceptical.
0: I mean, this is literally the only <laughs> bit of our culture that I think pretty much everyone in Northern Ireland would totally support.
1: starting to wonder if that's how they got drugs into Northern Ireland during the Troubles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> These mm. on the
1: potatoes. So before we finish, is there anything you would like to plug, Michael Legg?
0: Do you know what? There is one thing I'd like to plug and it's got nothing to do with me. It's probably only on iPlayer for, I don't know, a small amount of time. Mm-hmm. But definitely, if you can, look up the uh, Patrick Kilty documentary. I think it was called My Dad the uh, Good Friday agreement in me or my dad the the peace deal in me I think that's what it's called it's really absolutely brilliant
2: Um, Athena I'm going to plug me Um, so I'm previewing my Edinburgh show in places not enough places but enough so my dates which are around the country are on my website which is athenacoblenu.co.uk and you can kind of misspell my name and it will still come up on Google so I don't need to spell it
1: Thanks to my guests, Kate Devlin, Athena Kaplanu, and Michael Leg. Any Stupid Questions is written and presented by me, Danielle Ward, and produced by Ed Morris. We know you're sick of hearing this, but telling people about the show and especially rating and reviewing us as well as subscribing really will help people find us. Thank you so much.